Hello, everyone, and welcome to TotallyTubularTV.com's podcast. My name is Tim Surratt, and as always, I am here with Mr. Corey Barker. Corey, what is up with you this busy Upfronts week? Well, Tim, last week we talked about how Totally Tubular was renewed for another season. Uh, I've got some bad news. We've actually been canceled because our podcast skewed far too female. <laughs> because of our sexy voices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that people just can't can you know contain their enthusiasm uh, for the auditory sensations that they get when they listen to Totally Tubular, and unfortunately, I guess that appeals far more to women. I don't know. It's just the notes that I've been given from the network, and so you know, unfortunately, this is going to be our last episode. But maybe we'll try to redevelop it with a little more of a masculine tone moving forward. Corey, have you heard about something called the patriarchy? I have, yeah, um, and we we benefit from it every single day, you and I. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, controversial topics aside, we're going to move on to some upfront business. As you know, this is the week that all the major networks talk about their uh, upcoming schedules. They finalize renewals and cancellations, and uh, this has been going on pretty much since we last recorded a podcast. Um, a lot of the bubble show decisions um, have been made. Except for one notable one, Limitless is still out there in the ether. I think it's trying to be trying to be shopped to another network as, uh, you know, shows that people don't want to die. They do that for about a month until they actually die. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to that when we talk to CBS. But first, why don't we start with, uh, we'll go in chronological order here. NBC started things off Sunday with a bunch of news. Actually, it started even earlier than that, but then they actually had their upfront presentation on monday and mm-hmm. uh the big the big news here is uh their schedule looks uh a lot of chicago on here and there's actually only three on there right now the the new one which is called chicago justice just ice uh is not coming until the mid-season so or it's until one of these shows fails i guess um yeah Three three hours dedicated to the the Dick Wolf Chicago verse. Um, I guess Blind Spot moving to Wednesdays is a, is a big deal. That's typically what NBC does. They launch new shows behind the Voice, and then after they've got a season or two under their belt, they kick them to later in the week. We saw that happen also with the Blacklist. Uh, so now Blind Spot will be uh, Wednesday at eight p.m. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Voice will be Timeless, which is Eric Kripke and Sean Ryan's new time traveling genre. This one looks a little more revolution than it does first five seasons of Supernatural, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, Thursday, comedy's back on Thursday. Superstore and the new series The Good Place with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell um, at 8 and 8.30, followed by Chicago Med and The Blacklist, which stays on Thursday nights. Um, what else is there in terms of the big moves? I guess uh, they're holding things off for mid-season, uh, like you said. Chicago Justice and some others. Uh, but Corey, looking at this schedule, anything interesting to you? Not really. I mean, I think it for an NBC schedule, it makes sense given the kind of stuff that they have. And while I don't think they have a lot of stuff that appeals to you or I, they have in some ways reestablished themselves as a sturdy network uh, over the last couple of years, primarily on the back of the Chicago universe and the voice uh, and football. Of course, we can't forget football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not really surprised by any of this. I think the, the more interesting conversation might be just talking about some of the new shows. Uh, the three that are debuting in the fall are timeless. This is us, uh, which is like a cross-sectional, uh, f- 
sort of interpersonal drama about people who all share the same birthday. Everything's connected, Corey. Um, which is maybe one of the dumbest premises I've ever seen, although the trailer itself looks pretty good because you get a lot of decent actors in a show, and it could be watchable, but the, like, the opening conceit itself is very stupid. And uh, then The Good Place, which is, as you said, is the Ted Danson, Kristen Bell project that is uh, produced by Mike Schur, who did uh, Parks and Rec and is also a producer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So which of those three... Based on, you know, the two and a half minute sizzle reels that we and all the advertising executives saw uh, stands out the most to you. Um, I'm very interested to see what The Good Place is able to do. If you don't know what that show is about, it's about uh, Kristen Bell plays a woman who is mistakenly sent to a heaven-like place, I guess mm-hmm. is the thing, where she was probably supposed to go to the other place. And so she uh, doesn't really change. I guess she will over the course of the series. But she kind of takes advantage of what she's doing in heaven. Um, my big question here is how long that premise can last. Uh, this is, you know, NBC typically does 22-episode comedy seasons uh this has seems like it's a saturday night life skit length kind of premise mm-hmm. um so we'll see how that does so that that's the one that i'm i'm looking at especially when it's trying to revitalize thursday comedies on cbs paired with superstore which is a pretty good pairing i would say yeah i mean i think that that's something a, a pairing that we're probably both excited about we like superstore quite a bit i i believe that superstore was only renewed for 13 so maybe they're thinking about cycling these shows through a little more um which might actually help something like the good place where it only has to do you know 13 to 16 a year maybe that'll be a little more beneficial um looking at the other nbc news uh crowded game of silence heartbeat mysteries of laura telenovela and undateable were all canceled um of the shows we haven't mentioned yet Michael show was renewed uh which is pretty good kind of a, a late order on that that might not return until next mid-season or even summer um, and I think mentioned most of the other ones there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to Fox. Um, Fox did their stuff on Monday as well. I'll go over the quick uh, renewals and cancellations for Fox first. Uh, they canceled Border Town, who, you know, no one really remembered existed. Cooper Barrett's Guide to Surviving Life, Grandfathered, and The Grinder. Both of them are gone, which is sad for, well, for us, for The Grinder. Um, and of course, what else? Second Chance was officially canceled. Um, renewed? Any surprises here? Sleepy Hollow got a fourth season. I think we already knew that was going to happen uh, based on Scuttlebutt. Mm-hmm. But still, it's very interesting to see that show go on without Nicole Bahari. Um, and that is all for that. I think the other ones were pretty much previously renewed. But let's look at their schedule. As you know, they only program uh, 12 hours a week. Uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but not the 10 p.m. hour. Um, what do we got here? Oh, uh, Gotham and Lucifer will stay on Monday, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuesday is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, New Girl, and Screen Queens, which is... Is that what they did last season? Yeah, this season, yeah. They did... Um, it was New Girl... Or no, it was grandfathered in the grinder first. They had an all new Tuesday night, and then that bombed in the fall, and then they went to a four four comedy block in the spring. It was done, yeah. Yes, uh, Lethal Weapon, the big new show for them, will get the pre Empire slot on Wednesday, and The Exorcist is moved to Friday behind Hell's Kitchen. You know, hey, they both have uh, talk about a branded night. <laughs> hellish name. 
in the title. Why not throw them together? Um, again, we're looking at, since Fox does not have a lot to program, this is a pretty uh, regular schedule for them. It's nothing that exciting, I would say. Um, however, there's a lot of changes in mid-season. You'll see the new shows uh, 24 Legacy and APB take over Monday nights. Um, Tuesdays will eventually go to... Uh, I mean, uh, the Mick, which is Caitlin Olson's new comedy, that'll um, jump in at 8.30, and then they'll put a new show on at 9, either Kicking and Screaming or Pitch. Uh, this is, I mean, the Fox schedule is kind of weird because it totally changes. They're one of the few networks that also released a mid-season schedule. Um, after they Lethal never Weapon, stick to. Yeah, they never stick This is, why are we even telling you this? It'll all change. Um, a new show called Shots Fired will take the place of Lethal Weapon on Wednesday, and then uh, Lee Daniels' Star, which is... Basically, another you know music industry drama will uh, be the Gap show for Empire until it returns, and then Prison Break will take over on Thursday at nine, and Sleepy Hollow will be paired with MasterChef Junior on Fridays because not quite the same branding. <laughs> you gotta go cooking show and then Supernatural show afterwards on Fridays. I guess is Fox's thing. Uh, Corey, what does this Fox show, uh, schedule look like to you? Again, it's one that doesn't really surprise that much. I think, you know, we've talked a lot over the last season, really, that Fox has had such a hellish couple of years, Empire aside. And there's only, I guess, so many things that they can do because it's not... I mean, they have a lot of holes, but, like, it's sort of patchwork, right? Like, they have things that you can sort of build around, but the fact that they don't program as much, you know, per night means that there's not a lot of movement, so... I'm sure that they're probably a little fearful to move either Gotham or Lucifer from that Monday spot uh, because they both do pretty well and, you know, they've got something good going there and they would just prefer to keep doing well on Monday as opposed to splitting them up. Um, I think, I guess the biggest surprise is that the Tuesday schedule looks identical, uh, that they went with two low-rated comedies and then Scream Queens, which is was renewed, you know, a while ago, and is kind of a surprise renewal, but I, I guess they're just deciding that, you know, they're not trying to win, like, any traditional ratings metrics uh, competitions on Tuesday, and they're putting shows on there that people like, I guess, even if it's a very, very small number of people. What do, what do you think about that decision? Uh, it's uh, it's a little weird. I mean, you see other networks, we're going to talk about a couple coming up here that are definitely committing to the two-hour comedy block. Um, a couple of them doing it twice a week, and uh, Fox, which you know pushed into comedy, now they only have an hour of comedy a week, oh, um, except for Sunday, Sunday, except yeah. for the Sunday, which they've kind of owned. But um, the Sunday is, I think, I still feel like Sunday is different because it's mostly well, it used to be animated, all animated. Now they're doing some live action, but um, it, it's it's interesting that they are not trying a midweek uh, two hour comedy block, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it should never worked for them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, new shows. Uh, we, we've seen trailers for some of these. Son of Zorn, which is from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. It's about a He-Man type of guy, voiced by Jason Sudeikis and animated, who does a live-action thing. Uh, he, he comes home and he has an ex-wife, and his ex-wife has a new uh, boyfriend, and he has a son, and is, he wants his son to be a warrior just like him. Um, it looks it looks really weird, and then there's also uh, Lethal Weapon and The Exorcist, as we talked about, and some of the stuff at midseason. Corey, which of these new shows stands out to you? So yeah, I'm actually I was surprised and a little disappointed at how much I like some of these, given the onus for why they were brought to air. So 
the lethal weapon pilot or trailer was pretty good i mean i think there's some really stupid things in there like the um riggs's now dead wife like rubbing her pregnant belly right as she gets hit by a semi truck and dies that is so on the nose uh but those two actors look really good together and i mean you don't necessarily have to have the lethal weapon branding to do a show like that but it looked pretty good yeah that that was a surprising one um it's one of those i think feel like it's a show that knows what it is and it's like hey this, uh, we're lethal weapon here you go and so I, I think it, it works. It, look, it looked fun. And that's, I think, was very important in what we were hoping for. Yeah, and the new 24 looks like a new 24, which is totally fine if you're a fan of 24 and um, you're not one of those people who gets mad when, you know, shows get shows or projects or films get rebooted with new uh, cast members who may not look like the uh, previous star. It'll probably be something that you'll really enjoy. Um, even pitch looked okay. I don't know how that's really an ongoing series that anybody cares about just because sports things don't usually work, but it looked pretty good for two and a half minutes. And I can't say that for some of the things on the other networks. Corey, pitch looked terrible. <laughs> I, I love think, baseball I, and it looked terrible. I didn't think it looked that bad. How can you, how can you turn down Zach Morris, uh, as a bearded grizzled catcher? Oh, pretty easily, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, over on the comedy side, they have Making History, which is their uh, time-traveling duffel bag in a ham show starring Adam Pally, uh, who goes back in time. It, it's it's unclear if he's going to be going to all these different uh, time periods, but in this time he goes back to uh, colonial America. Yeah, and uh, that one uh, looks kind of interesting very foxy yeah. i guess yes. uh there's also the mick with caitlin olsen and she plays a woman who has to take over her rich kids or rich sister's kids when the sister gets thrown in jail um pretty conventional like almost like sons of tucson type of uh execution there but you know caitlin olsen is she's fantastic so maybe that'll work the one that will be interesting will be son of zorn which is the hybrid uh, animation live action comedy that we talked about uh, just a few seconds ago. Um, I, I saw all kinds of different Twitter reactions on this. I saw a lot of people saying they liked it. Um, I thought it looked incredibly stupid and just repetitive. What did you think about that one? I thought it looked like it had promise, but I think it's one of those things, again, it, being a Lord and Miller production, it feels like, it's something that could be really great a couple episodes at a time and then just be pretty terrible for multiple episodes at a time and then be good again, which is something that Last Man on Earth has had a little bit of problems with. And I think making history could, too, now that they have – wow, they have three produced comedies on Fox right now. Um, and I think it's a cool idea, but it's one of those things that we always ask, like, I'm not sure – how this is going to be really great week to week as a TV show might be a really fun pilot and there might be some really great individual episodes, but I don't know how much it'll hold together. It won't. <laughs> it won't. It'll, you know, like last man on earth is as that same problem where it's like good at obvious, like very pre-planned beats mm -hmm. where they want to go. But then there's a bunch of like meandering stuff in the middle that doesn't work at all. So uh, I guess that's, that's kind of what Fox does here. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to ABC. Uh, ABC finally, and finally, we have a network that has some big changes. Uh, most notably, I would say, is their Tuesday night comedy block. 
Uh, the Middle is moving over to Tuesday at 8 p.m. It'll be followed by the new series American Housewife and Fresh Off the Boat and The Real O'Neills. You know, ABC has always had a large stockpile of comedies where they have to put some of it on Tuesday, and they finally have enough to make a second comedy block. Um, that pushes Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to 10 p.m., and if you guys are a fan of that show, I would recommend reading Caitlin's article that she uh, posted on Wednesday about why this move means basically that ABC and Marvel just do not care about this show at all. Um, Wednesday, they will also have their comedy block uh, with Goldberg's moving to 8 p.m., replacing the middle, and the new comedy Speechless sneaking in there at 8.30 and then Nashville will be replaced by Designated Survivor. Uh, Scandal is going to be delayed because of Kerry Washington's pregnancy. That'll be replaced by the new show, Notorious. And uh, that's mostly it for ABC schedule. Corey, what are your comments on that? How dare you? You forgot to mention uh, Conviction on Monday uh, behind Dancing with the Stars, which will replace the weirdly canceled castle. True. Um Fox didn't really have a whole lot of weird cancellations, so should, we should at least talk about how ABC uh, canceled both Nashville and, and Castle, even though both productions like had big plans for their subsequent seasons. Like We talked about how Castle uh, was going to fire people and slash the budget and do one final season. Nashville had this big plan to bring in... Um, you know, different writers to kind of do a different take on this on the show, and the network said we're good. We're ready to move on from that kind of dead weight. So that in itself is interesting. And then to see the things that replaced those shows, um, I guess you can kind of see why maybe they did it. Like, I think, you know, I'm much more intrigued by Conviction and Designated Survivor than I am another season of Castle in Nashville. And they feel like ABC enough shows with people that I want to watch in Haley Atwell and Kiefer Sutherland that I think those are two pretty good anchors at 10 o'clock on Monday and Wednesday. What did you think of those trailers? Oh, uh, uh, convictions, very ABC. That, most of the new ABC shows are, uh, as we say, very, very ABC. Um, mm-hmm. Conviction, I don't know. I probably won't watch it at all. Um, I didn't really watch a whole lot of... Uh, um, Agent Carter, so I, I'm not on the uh, I'm not in the Haley Atwell fan club yet. Well, and you've seen all the you know all the Marvel movies repeatedly, so that you get enough of her as it is. Exactly. Um, and Designated Survivor looked uh, fine. I right, will see. I don't I don't know if any of these new shows. Notorious looked pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, of the comedies, American House, the, the comedies that ABC has. Well, these things are something. Um, American Housewife might be the best of them and that is not that much of a compliment it's kind of like a suburgatory style show about a woman who is uh not as like skinny and perfect as all the other housewives and she kind of like bad mouths them in voiceover um there's also downward dog with allison tolman which features a talking dog who has modern family style confessionals and talks about his love for his owner don't forget Imaginary Mary. And the worst of them, Imaginary Mary with Jenna Elfman, where that's playing an adult-ass woman whose imaginary friend comes back to help her uh, get through life as she dates a divorced dad with three kids or something. And the imaginary uh, friend looks like a Furby from hell. He looks like a laundry detergent spokesman. Yes, it does. Uh, so that one, I think, is uh, not going to do well. And then there's... Um, for some reason, they're, they're doing Still Star-Crossed, which is the worst 
uh, titled show of the new season, and it's a continuation of the Romeo and Juliet story. Um, that looks like Once Upon a Time without the bad green screen or the interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Or, or I guess interesting in quotes there. And then there's- Shonda, it's Shonda produced though, so automatic, automatic order there. Yeah, um, and then there's one more called Time After Time, which is. Young H.G. Wells, time traveling into the future to capture uh, Jack the Ripper, who is young also... Jack the Ripper. They're both they're both young and hunky. They have to be young and hunky. Um, what the hell? I did not know that that included the, or featured them time traveling into like 2016. I knew that there was time traveling given the title, um, but when I watched the trailer right before we recorded, I said, oh, no, oh, oh, no. And I just kept saying, oh, no. Like, I, you know, the premise is dumb, but, like, intriguing enough. But if they're literally just going to go, like, right to 2016 and then that's it. Um, and I presume there'll be other time traveling or whatever. But that that is the starting point seems a little silly. And I don't, it just doesn't – that doesn't seem like the kind of show that works on ABC or on broadcast at all anymore. But really, like – that sort of big concepty premise show that doesn't feature like a strong woman at the center doesn't usually do that well on ABC in like the modern era. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of one person who would have asked for this show or finds it remotely interesting. That's true. It's very true. And you know, d- despite the fact that Paul Lee has been ousted and um, you know, there's kind of a new regime there at ABC, they still, ordered a crap load of shows a lot of the shows still feel very abc like um so you you see some things that have promise at least in my mind like designated survivor conviction but it's not as if this is like a dramatic shift for a network that got rid of their executive for you know presumably like being a failure and yet a lot of the shows that he helped develop are still here and some of the new ones he helped you know order at least initially at the pilot script stage and so you know what can you say on the fact that they or- they actually ordered downward dog and imaginary mary like is that really any better than the year that they ordered work it man up and last man standing like it's the same like quality of stupidity it seems like yeah yeah that's uh it's not uh, not a great round of development for abc i would say which which is going to be tough for uh the new regime to get over but what i do like i do like the idea that they're going to a second two-hour comedy block and they're really putting their money in comedy um my question to you is do you think it'll work without a strong actor anchor like a modern family um in the middle of there i don't know i mean i guess i think they believe that the middle does well enough to start the ninth that maybe that will then carry over into uh you know the nice flow that they want and fresh off the boat has done fine enough on its own at, at 8 p.m. on Tuesday. So I guess they think that it, it can maybe grow and survive at 9 there. Um, but that's definitely an interesting question. I think you could have talked me into moving the Goldbergs to 9 um, and putting Fresh Off the Boat on Wednesday or keeping the middle on Wednesday or something like that and letting the Goldbergs be kind of the, the modern family of Tuesday, you know, be that sort of core show. Um but I guess this is how they want to try it. But it wouldn't surprise me if halfway through the season they kind of reorder those but keep all the same shows on. Sure. Shuffle them around. Um, let's move on to CBS's schedule, which was uh, announced on Wednesday. Um, 
They are also doing a Monday. Uh, they're doing two hour com. They're doing two two hour comedy blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing Monday and Thursday. Thursday, they, of course, is anchored by Big Bang Theory, and then Monday is anchored by Big Bang Theory until football comes, uh, and then it moves to Thursday. Oh, it's really confusing. It's a don't even worry about trying to just. People have to actually see this visually to understand what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's impossible. But this is uh So they're going to go with. Um, Kevin, uh, Kevin, uh, what's his name? James. Kevin James. James thank Paul you. Blart. Paul Blart, Mall Cop, the sitcom, will uh, join Big Bang Theory on Monday, and then it'll be replaced by Joey Tribbiani's new comedy, and then uh, Kevin James's comedy moves to eight. It's very complicated. Like Corey said, you have to kind of see this. But um, they are doing the Monday comedy block with Kevin James and um, Matt LeBlanc, and then two broke girls and the odd couple, and they're pushing Scorpion back to 10 p.m., um, and then on Thursday, they're doing Big Bang Theory, uh, Jomo Kale's new show, The Great Indoors, Mom and Life in Pieces. So what you're seeing on this TV schedule is you're seeing CBS taking Monday and Thursday as comedies and ABC taking Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, they're, I guess they're careful not to schedule against each other, uh, which I think is a good idea. It's bad news for everyone else, I think, because most of these comedy blocks are pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, on Tuesday, Michael Weatherly's new show, Bull, which is about the life of Dr. Phil, apparently, because we all need that. For real. Like, that's, that is a real show. (laughs) It's a real show. It's also written by Dr. Phil, who describes himself as a young Lothario, who's, like, irresistible to women. Mm, Um, but that'll be sandwiched. That's good stuff. (laughs) That'll be sandwiched in between two NCIS's original flavor and New Orleans. Uh, Wednesday stays the same. And then Friday, uh, MacGyver will lead off Friday at 8 p.m. And we're seeing what I would think of as stronger shows appear on Fridays. And to move that in front of Hawaii Five-O and Blue Bloods was a bit of a surprise for me. I thought they might feature that uh, more in the midweek. You would think, as given given how dedicated they seem to be in developing this, this is something that's come out over the last couple of weeks that they've, you know, this is like the third time that they've really tried to bring this to air. And they ordered the show to series even though they're firing all of the actors but, like, two and bringing in a different showrunner, producer, and, uh, you know, kind of reshooting the entire pilot. So they are so dedicated to this project, and yet they immediately moved it to Friday, which I think is very interesting. And so I guess it's fitting because that's such a, like, 1988 decision, right, to move a successful show to Friday or a show you hope to be successful to Friday night. Um, whereas even two years ago, you would think that that was immediate death sentence. Yeah. Uh, over on Sunday, NCIS LA moves to 8 p.m., followed by Madam Secretary in elementary, now that the good wife is gone. Um, so- solid schedule here. They're going, it seems like CBS is going back to their strengths. Uh, I think they, they tried out some things in the past couple of years with shows like Person of Interest and Limitless. Those were directions that you and I both championed. We really liked that idea. And they seem to be just going back to more like, hey, let's do a uh, show about Dr. Phil and make him a this, this is like the most CBS schedule in the last five years. I mean, really, this is like the most 90s schedule that I've seen. Like watching um, even brief sort of snippets and seeing press photos from all of these multi-camera comedies. I take back everything I said last week about both um, Man with a Plan and and the great indoors. I take it back. What, Man, what the, remind everyone what you said. I said that they seemed promising because they had, you know, good stars in them like Joel McHale, 
um, like Matt LeBlanc, and even someone like Kevin James, who's really good, his show will probably be the best of the three just because he's really comfortable in that format and it, he's, it's going to be a clear star vehicle for the things he does well, right? Um, but those shows feel like they were completely shipped uh, on a time machine, you know, given this year's theme. They were shipped on a time machine from like 1998 to appear on this schedule. They seem so retrograde and so bad immediately. Yeah, you know, CBS is going for comfort food. I'm trying to think of the last show they had in that vein that really became a hit. Uh, Odd Couple certainly wasn't it. Two Broke Girls never really got there. Mom, you know, people kind of like critically, but it's not doing that great. Um, so overall, this like this this schedule. I'm wondering if we're starting. Well, this this is this might be a uh, season that. CBS realizes they need to make major changes if these things don't work. Like they're really relying on the past. I'm not sure that the past hasn't already uh, gone too far in the past for them. It's an interesting question and something that they're really going to have to deal with because I think, as you said, they they were making these incremental steps forward to doing things more interesting. Even something like Mom was looked at as a little bit more of an interesting multi-camera comedy. You mentioned Person of Interest. We've talked about Limitless a lot. It is still up in the air for reasons that make no sense to me. Um, and, you know, now the, these are the shows that they ordered. You know, they renewed Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, which I don't think anybody on the planet actually likes. You know, it's it's just on in the background. Um, and so, you know, that they've really just committed to being the most CBS possible is a little unfortunate you know and that they have things like star trek and the now official weird good wife spinoff uh with kush jumbo and um christine baranski only gonna be on cbs all access it's like they're putting their interesting things on their streaming platform and then really just uh siloing off like big retrograde tv shows from the 80s and 90s on their network yeah i mean that seems like a strategy that's like let's let's be safe for now but let's not plan for the future. It's like getting a bunch of uh, veterans on your basketball team, but not investing in any in the draft. Right, like they're pushing their chips in. They're like really going for it. You know, th- this strategy has worked before, so why won't it work again uh, type of thinking. And, you know, a lot of times it does work for them. It's just like this is the most uninspired batch that they've had in a while. Like usually there's one interesting thing in there, and there's just not this year. Yeah. Uh, moving on to CW, the CW actually, uh, through the magic of the internet, we, we don't know the CW schedule, but I imagine it'll, it'll look largely the same. I would say so. Uh, but in their news, they canceled containment, which they should have, and they pretty much renewed everything else. And of course, uh, Supergirl is now on the CW, so they're going to have to figure out um, a place for that. Where would you put that? Would you put it right next to The Flash and just say, hey, crossover all you like, ladies and gentlemen? I think that's an interesting option. It really depends. We've talked about this a little bit, and we've talked about this as a staff. Um, It seems like given that they renewed everything and then they they picked up, what, three new shows and then brought Supergirl over two, it seems like they're going to have to do more year-round scheduling, shorter seasons, that kind of thing. So it might be in their best interest to kind of cut basically – every show except for maybe the flash and arrow down to 18 to you know maybe even 13 episodes a season just to see how that works and maybe parse these things out a little bit more but 
because there's only so much room. Like they've kind of created that nice Monday block um, with Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but nobody watches those shows. Um, And then you have Flash on Tuesday, Arrow on Wednesday, uh, and Legends of Tomorrow presumably on Thursday. So you have to – maybe you can put Supergirl on Thursday and use it and Legends of Tomorrow to fill that spot at a all year round or whatever, just at, you know, 18 and 18 episodes a season, something like that. But their biggest challenge will now be figuring out how are they going to put all these things on the schedule? What new shows are they actually going to debut in the fall? Because if they debut two or three of those new shows immediately, that means some fan favorites are not going to come until January. Yeah, they have uh, 12 returning shows, if you count Supergirl as a returning show. Um, plus the new shows Frequency, which is a remake of this is a mind-boggling decision of remake of that uh, Dennis Quaid movie, I believe, Jimmy where he Weasel too, don't forget where he Jesus. talked into a uh, ham radio. Yep. I think uh, No Tomorrow, which uh, is about two people trying to like go through items on their bucket list. I guess they work yeah. at an Amazon type store. I don't know. That's that sounds like a Monday show for sure. For sure, with uh, Jane and ex girlfriend, um, and then Riverdale, which is the Archie comics drama. Again, another odd uh, order, but I think with that makes fifteen shows, and I think that's more than they had last year. So yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a big traffic jam there, um, and I don't know if any of these are like cancelable. So. The idea of doing shorter seasons might not only make sense, but it might not be. It might only be the only the only answer. Yeah, if they're not going to expand to Sunday, for instance, then and they probably shouldn't, given that they would get destroyed. Uh, they really only have a few options, and I think with the fact that some of those shows are a little older, like we talked about this last week, I think, but they could easily cut both the originals and Vampire Diaries down to like 15 episodes, um, given that those shows are a little older and their ratings have gone down pretty significantly. The audience has kind of moved on. Like you could frame those as final seasons, even if you wanted, but then you could then save some space elsewhere. Quick. Oh, well, let's, uh, let's talk about what, what do you think was the biggest surprise renewal from up front? The biggest surprise renewal was probably Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, right? That was pretty surprising. I mean, just because I thought nobody cared about it and the ratings were not so good that it needed to come back. Yeah. I mean, this, the mine is a, is a, happened a little while ago, but like rain coming back, uh, doesn't make, didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. You could say the same thing about Scream Queens. Yeah. Scream Queens. So, um, Sleepy Hollow, you know, why, why it should have taken the castle route and just been gone. I'm trying to think what else there. Those are those are the big ones, and I mean it's weird because so many of these things happened before the last week. Really, you know, like there wasn't as much stress about what was going to get renewed or canceled because all the networks made early orders. Oh, uh, American Crime. That's the big. Oh, that's yeah. the big one yeah. for me. Why is that coming back? That's a surprise. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess they really they love the prestige that it brings, but I you the ratings are a hundred percent going to be lower next year than they were this year, um, and that's like really low. Yeah. Um, as for cancellations, were there any very surprising ones, or uh, you can also say most disheartening ones? I mean, I'm, it's going to sound like a broken record, but I, I we talked about this for a couple weeks now. Like, I just don't get it with Limitless, like. That was a show that did well enough for CBS, especially when you consider, 
you know, the non-traditional matrices like the plus three, the plus seven, etc. It did better than some of the show new shows that they renewed, like Code Black, like um, Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, that kind of thing. And it was a show that was stuck in that 10 p.m. time slot that hasn't really done super well for them on Tuesday. And for any show that's not named NCIS and the fact that they just moved an NCIS back there, you know, okay, I, I just don't get it. And the fact that they then kept the show in this weird limbo where they're pretty clearly going to cancel it, but they're pretending like they're going to try to sell it to anybody. I don't know who would take it at this point. Like if this was five years ago, maybe USA would take it, but it, I, can you imagine a single cable channel or streaming platform that would take limitless after its first season? Uh, no, they are apparently shopping it around though. Okay. Right. I'm also shopping for a new car. That doesn't mean that, you know, I have the money or the resources to get a new car. I am just kind of shopping around. Um, the grinder is probably my most disappointing cancellation, but I totally get it. It was bombing, but, uh, I still really, really, really like that show. Um, elsewhere in the news world, house of lies was canceled. Can you believe it? Corey house of lies canceled only five seasons on showtime. You know, it, it's going to be canceled, but it'll live on in my heart. So I don't really feel that disappointed. Um, I'm how angry are you? If you're Don Cheadle, that like your crappy Showtime show only got five seasons, but basically everybody else's crappy Showtime show gets six, seven, eight seasons. I think if I'm Don Cheadle, I'm happy because I can go find work anywhere. Uh, Also, MTV canceled Faking It, much to Caitlin's dismay. Rest in peace, Faking It. Uh, Now we got some new shows to talk about. Corey, the uh, moratorium on new shows is over. And they're coming back. We're going to be slammed with a bunch um, the all these spring shows, all these early summer shows. First one we're going to talk about is Lady Dynamite. You may not have heard of this show because, you know, there's, there's not a lot of big names behind it. It's not getting a lot of press from uh, Netflix where it'll debut on Friday, May 20th. All 13, 13 episodes of season one released at once, of course. Um, but this one is one of these shows that I'm really looking forward to. It stars Maria Bamford, who, if you are familiar with the alternative or slash underground comedy scene, she's been around forever. She was one of the kings of comedy. Um, if you remember that show with, uh, Zach Galifianakis and, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the other two. Real funny guys. And then there was Maria Bamford and she was... Um, she's been, she's been in the scene for a lot, a long time. She's kind of a comedian's comedian, but this is a mockumentary style comedy about her life and how she's had some issues with, uh, mental illness. She's been in a psych ward, I think more than once. Um, the show star also stars Fred Melamed and a guest star, Ed Bagley Jr., Lennon Parham and Bridget Everett and Arrested Development. Mitch Hurwitz is involved in this as an executive producer. Um, this is my first impression of the show, uh, besides the first episode being 35 minutes long, which I know bothers you, is that it is manic. Like, there is a definite, there's very definite strides to make this as manic as possible, and um, I think it's very effective in talking about mental illness. However, it's done it it's done in a really fun way that I I really enjoyed. I actually really 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 liked the two episodes that I saw. I thought it was uh very funny, very insightful. 
um, somewhat mold-breaking in terms of how they structure the show. And overall, I thought the jokes were very strong. And it's one of those shows that reminds me of Arrested Development's humor in the way that they try and tie everything around. They use a lot of wordplay. Um, and so it, because Mitrowitz is involved in this, even if he wasn't, you'd, I think I'd draw the Arrested Development parallels. But it was very strong on my mind while watching this that like this might be his best show since Arrested Development. And I'm not counting season four on Netflix. Well, I mean, that is also a, a very tiny, tiny bar to cross. Yes. Running Wild? <sighs> don't forget the animated one as well. I don't even remember what it was called. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. What did it you sucked. think of, of this? I, I'm in mo- mostly in agreement with you. I think uh, the first episode takes a little bit to get used to. It's a little disorienting as far as how the show it kind of unspools like there are some interesting things happening here as far as uh addressing the audience like weird fourth wall breaking like you know hard not like hard cuts but sudden cuts into reality quote unquote you know um and then different things happening with non-linear storytelling and then immediate commentary on how the story is being told non-linearly uh so it's a little wild as far as getting used to, but I think by the by the end of the first episode and into the second episode, I was pretty much into it. I think it definitely is not going to be for everybody, and that's you know every show at this point, but especially when we talk about comedies. But I think if you're the type of person who likes Maria Bamford or who likes things that you know, as we always say, like air on IFC or might end up on CISO or something like that. You're going to really love this. It has tons of people that you recognize and you love just kind of riffing off one another. And you're right. I think the way that the episodes come together is surprising given how like loose and manic it seems in the first 20 or 30 minutes of the episode. Yes, like there are there are times when uh, there's a running joke in the first one about how uh, you know, Maria Bamford has a show and she like wants to do stand up bits in it, just like Louie or Seinfeld, how, you know, she's against the brick wall and stuff. And then um, Patton Oswalt actually plays a cop who breaks character and goes into Patton Oswalt mode. And it's just like, Maria, you, you can't do stand up comedy in your show. Like it's been done to death. He's like Louie and Seinfeld, blah, 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 blah. They all do it. And he's like, even I did it in my pilots. Um, so it's constantly going in and out of. Uh, making fun of the industry, um, having having fun with mental illness, if you can say that, and also uh, being its own uh, unique take on a, a comedy in that it's it has elements of Arrested Development, but it also has some serious stuff. But it's also also almost always silly. Like it's it's so many things in one. But for there's some for some reason it really works. Um, and I think we get a better idea of what it'll look like week to week or episode to episode in the second episode, which is very, mm-hmm. very, very, very funny. Yeah, and I mean, I think I, I love the way that the show addresses mental illness, and I, that's a weird sentence, but um, it, it takes it seriously but is also not afraid to show how you can create comedy out of a pretty dire psychological circumstance, right? And I think that the show smartly includes Maria's family, members of her family, and so a lot of the flashbacks are from her when she's having these, like, horrible mental, you know, episodes and stuff like that. And they are pretty dark, but also 
funny and I think the way in which her family responds to her with like real care but also with you know a certain sense of like oh my god this you know like I think it finds the right place where it's not it's asking you to feel a little uncomfortable but not too uncomfortable in how it handles mental illness yeah and a lot of people going into this show aren't going to know who Maria Bamford is um I you don't think you don't think people are going to know I don't think a lot of people will know okay I mean, I, I, has she? She doesn't. She hasn't really been in a lot of TV shows. She's really been sort of a stand-up comedian for her. Whole, that's, that's at least that's my thought. But my question to you was like, what did you think of her handling a starring role? I think like a lot of these shows, it's clearly written to bend towards her strengths, right? She is a very sort of surrealist comic who does a lot of weird voice work and takes on very weird characters and things like that in her stand-up and in some of the other things that she's been in over the years and so this allows her to show that kind of range um and when she's in scenarios that you've really never seen her in as an actor uh the show immediately comments on it right so there's a great moment in the second episode where she literally says oh i've never been in a serious scene before this is really interesting but i think i'm doing okay am i doing you know um, and we and, should mention that the the place that they are they're having dinner at a restaurant called a serious scene. Yes, and it's so like that kind of humor. Yeah, right. So I think that that works. Right, it it does allow her to show some range, but it doesn't really get so serious and so dramatic in such a way that she has to strain to be like a capital S serious performer. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that you were, you nailed it. Like she has these strengths and this is all about it. The first, the actual first scene you see in the show is of her imagining that she's in like a shampoo commercial and it's really, it's really funny, but it allows her just to be like as kooky as she needs to be and uh, what she's, what she's really good at. So I, I mean, I was, I was very excited that she was able to do this very well because you know, I think we're all rooting for her given her past. And uh, so, yeah, it was just really, really good to see her in the show. Yeah, and I mean, this is the kind of thing that I feel like Netflix should be doing, right? And when we talk about every Netflix show, sometimes it's like, I don't know why they're doing this. Who are they doing this for? This feels like one of the best, like, arguments for why Netflix should exist, right? They give a really creative person who would never get a NBC comedy, right, or at least have one that would be successful, give them free reign to do something interesting, put it all out at once, the people who really love her, who like this type of thing, will find it, they'll talk about it, and anyone who's not interested in it will never have to see it or think about it ever again because it doesn't appeal to them in any way. Yeah. Well, this has one of the best uh, guest-starring rosters that I've, I've seen in a while. There's some real funny ones, including your favorite uh, musician, Mark McGrath. Or Sugar Ray, as, as he is repeatedly referred to. Of, and, and, you know, if you... To this show's credit, you do understand why, like, you should feel a little sympathy for Mark McGrath. Just a little. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, that's Lady Dynamite. It premieres uh, Friday, May 20th on Netflix. We, I think we both highly recommend it. I think it's a great show. Uh, if you can get through the first one, I mean, the second half of the first episode is great, but the second episode is actually, uh, I think, a, a great indicator of where it could go. And I think it could be a very funny gem. Uh, the next show we're going to talk about is probably the one you all came uh, to listen to this podcast for. It's Preacher. Mm. Season one premieres on Sunday, May 22nd at 10 p.m. on AMC. After the Fear of the Walking Dead finale, 10 episodes in this first season. Some of you probably know this, but it's based on uh, Garth Ennis' comic uh, from the 90s. Ultra-violent. 
very uh, has some some things to say about religion. I would say, um, Corey, I I've had so many hard times trying to describe this show or the premise of the comic. Uh, will you give it a shot for me? Because I I, I I don't even know how to describe it. Have you read the comic? I tried to read the comics. Okay, I have not. Um, I'm thinking of just like checking out some early issues uh, to get sort of oriented with the show. Um, but the in theory, this show uh, tells the story of Jesse Custer, who is a preacher in a small Texas town, but he doesn't really want to be a preacher. There's a very obvious reason why he's sort of taken on this role, but he sucks at it, essentially, right? And there are all these weird things kind of happening in the world, not even really around him, just happening in the world, right? Things that have uh, sort of supernatural or demonic, you know, fringes to them. Like, weird things are happening. Um, And eventually, one of those weird things sort of happens to him in the first episode. Sure. And that is presumably going to be the inciting incident that kind of carries on with the story but along with that there are a number of interesting characters um including you know his old girlfriend who is a complete badass and a hard drinking swearing irish vampire character um and and then there's hillbillies and like other people just like small-minded folk who you really just want him to like be the preacher and stuff like that. And so the first episode in particular is very, very like establishing what's happening. Like it's almost like a prequel to what I presume the rest of the show will actually be like. Yeah. Because if there's, you know, I, I think a lot of people are really going to like the show. Um, most of the reviews have been positive. A lot of people like the comic. Um, I had a friend recommend the comic to me uh, many years ago. And when I tried to read it, I, I didn't understand it. And that, kind of carried over to, to the, show? the show like it's 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 this is a very very weird show i i don't still don't know what the actual story is um but what this show does have is style and flair um i can't say that i love the show and i think i am in the minority when i say this but i can't say that i really like the show i don't know where it goes um and to me it seems like a it seems like you know Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are the producers. <laughs> they created it. The two, yes, the two of them sitting around reading preacher comics and saying like, "Oh my god, this scene would be awesome on television," and then doing it. And those scenes, they are kind of awesome. But I still like when all the dust settles. I'm like, I still have no idea what the show is about, and I don't know if it has any identity other than being incredibly violent. This is the most violent show I've seen on television. Did you just... Yeah, I think so. Did you just watch the first one? I watched the first two. Okay, so I only watched the first one, so if you feel that way after the second one, that's pretty wild. Um, we should also mention that uh, Sam Catlin, who from Breaking Bad, is also involved in this. He directed the premiere, um, and he's you know he's been involved. He's the showrunner. Yeah, he, he's involved kind of the day-to-day. And supposedly everything I've read is that this show actually de- like departs from the comics pretty quickly. So I think that, that it's still interesting that it, in departing from the comics, theoretically, they didn't necessarily like streamline it or make it make sense anymore, right? Like it's still very meandering. It still takes a kind of a wide swath of setting things up, like literally all over the world. And the genre and the tone is kind of smashing together 
which from everything that I've read is also, you know, part of the comic to some degree. Like the comic was definitely part of that like 90s wave of comics that sort of deconstructed the comic genre. So then when you try to translate that to TV, it doesn't always work, right? And we saw that when Zack Snyder tried to do the Watchmen movie. Like you can't necessarily translate something that's supposed to be deconstructing a genre and then just turn it into that thing. And so it'll be interesting to see how this show proceeds. I thought the first episode was compelling, but I had absolutely no idea what was happening. At at any point, I just – like 20 minutes in, I stopped it and thought, I should maybe start this over because I don't know what's going on. And then I just decided, you know what? I'm clearly not going to know what's going on no matter how many – I mean I could probably watch it 10 times and figure it out, but there's no use starting again a second time. Yeah, that's why I think this is going to be a hit with fans of the comic because I I think it's – the comic was kind of like that. Um, And its strengths were – its depiction of violence, if that can be considered strength, like it's, it is a, it is very creative in its violence. Um, and it has a lot of fun with it. Kind of like, um, you know, a little, little more harsh than like Tarantino's most violent tendencies, I would say. Um, and then it has that style, which also like, this is like, like you said, this is the nineties comic. This is basically, um, these kids who grew up watching Pulp Fiction who ended up making their own things and they end up being very, stylish very violent like very quippy dialogue but i and with characters who are sort of one note and that note is usually just like total badass so it's a bunch of badasses going against each other um and i know i'm simplifying this down a lot of people are going to hate me for it but that's that's what it reads to me which made it a bit of a problem but at the same time like it is it's entertaining to watch it's just like i don't know how much further it'll get towards being a real show with a story that you care about or anything of real substance. What did you think of Dominic Cooper in the lead role? He's fine. I think he's really outclassed by uh, Ruth Nega as Tulip. Um, She's really good in this, even though her character is kind of does the same thing over and over again, but she has a real good charisma. Um, And uh, is it Joel Gilgan who's the who plays Cassidy, the vampire? Mm -hmm. Uh, He's awesome too, and they they he has really great scenes. But I didn't really feel anything about um, Dominic Cooper. Yeah, I think it's one of those scenarios where he is clearly surrounded by at least initially characters who are on the surface way more interesting, right? And he has a lot of emotional baggage and like this baggage with his father and like different things like that, that a lot of characters like that, you know, exist in shows like this that are kind of have daddy issues and that kind of thing. But presumably the thing that happens to him at the end of the pilot is supposed to like carry on and turn him into something different. Right. I, I think. Maybe. Uh, a little bit. I mean, it gives him certain powers that yeah. he can use. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he has, like, the power of influence over people. He can talk to people. Um, and it was in the pilot, actually, where he actually yes. tells someone, um, he tells them to open their heart to their mother because he's having problems with, them, with his mother. And uh, he literally does that. Right. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think having only seen the first one and, you know, I think they sent four, correct? Um I was kind of wanted to play it week by week, but it has potential, you know, I think, and I think, as you said, seems like it's going to be pretty popular. It has a dedicated fan base, kind of like the walking dead did before it aired. Not that it's going to be that level of success. 
but there's an interesting world here. I'm just not sure exactly what that world is. And this feels like another one of those shows where like the whole first season is basically just set up for what the show will actually be in seasons two, three, and four. Possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, got, I haven't gotten that far. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the actual idea is that uh, the preacher, he goes on a quest to find God because God has sort of, he's forsaken uh, the world. And so he's he's basically like, yo, God, what's up? And God isn't exactly a cool dude in this uh, in this series. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I, the highlights here are some really awesome fight sequences. Um, there's a fight sequence on a plane that's really really great. There's a fight sequence in a church with a chainsaw that's really really great. Um, it's incredibly violent. There's so much blood. So many limbs get severed. Uh, it's really in a world all its own. Um, but I just don't know if it's more than that. And you kind of, you kind of, I kind of feel like I need that, need something to grab onto. Yeah. I, I, I'm willing to stick with it just to see what happens. Um, at least in this first season, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it might be one of those instances where, you know, the transition or the translation from one genre or one, you know, art form to another is just not super easy to do no matter who you get to develop it. I mean, it, it's still weird that it's Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it, there's just a real challenge in making that transition, and especially one like this that has so many weird genre influences in a lot of different tones. Like, there's just so much happening from scene to scene that if you don't like it at the beginning – it wouldn't surprise me that a lot of people would kind of sit down with this and would just be like, Oh no, I hate this and never come back just because it is so you, it is really kind of in your face immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, um, you know, I read a bunch of reviews of this and almost all of them were positive. I only read one negative one and, uh, they kind of had the same complaints to me. So I think largely it'll, it'll, it'll be the show that preacher fans want, mm-hmm. which is fine. Anything else to say about it? No, not really. I mean, I think it's a smart decision by AMC. Season one premieres Sunday, May 22nd at 10 p.m. on AMC. Uh, check it out, but uh, maybe not with your mom. There's some, some pretty heavy stuff in there. Uh, next, we're going to talk about Wayward Pines, which somehow is coming back for a season two on Wednesday, May 25th at 9 p.m. on Fox. Ten episodes in this second season. Corey, you remember this show. We talked about it last year, I believe. And... Um, we we both enjoyed it. We had only watched what three or four episodes of it. Yes, and did you end up enjoying it as the season progressed? Well, you never finished episode five. No, I did. I actually finished it. I actually, okay. but I mostly watched it in the background because I think after episode five, uh, a lot of the magic of the series was lost. Right. Um, and <laughs> for some reason, Fox felt that uh, okay, the magic's still gone. Let's put out another season. Um, so season two premiere, uh, picks up after the events of season one, which were confusing. Did you watch all of season one? I may have missed a couple episodes in the middle, but I definitely watched the first five and then watched the last one. Okay. So in the first five episodes, the wayward pines was built on this, uh, idea of, uh, mystery. Like we were all trying to figure out what wayward pines was. And then, um, in episode five, which was excellent, they revealed, pretty much everything that Wayward Pines was. And then the last five episodes was just kind of infighting in the group. Mm -hmm. uh, season two picks up after the season one finale, and it's just kind of infighting within the group. 
yeah, with most of the notable names or and or good actors from the first season gone. Some of them are back. Um, well, Matt Dillon's dead. Matt Dillon's character died in the first season, and he's replaced by a completely new guy, Jason Patrick, uh, who is a doctor who arrives in Wayward Pines in a similar fashion to Matt Dillon. He just kind of arrives there and shows up. Um, other cast members include Juman Homsu, uh, Nimrat Kar, Kar, Casey yeah. Roll, um, and uh, Hope Davis, who was actually in season one. Um, and then who else is back? Uh, Carla Gugino. Hope Davis was in season one? was. Oh, that's right. Um, Terrence Howard makes an appearance in season two. So some of the big names are back, maybe not as in big roles. So um, Jason Patrick's taking over, and he's the hero, and he plays a very similar character to Matt Dillon, which is basically like, why am I in Wayward Pines? Can I ask you a question? And I I put this out on Twitter because I I kept thinking it to myself. Is Jason Patrick the homeless man's Matt Dillon or the rich man's Matt Dillon? Oh, to me, he's the rich man's Matt Dillon. Oh, okay. I uh, I like Jason Patrick. I've always I've always liked him. Lost I, Boys. I like Jason Patrick fine. Is he? But is he worse in this in this show than Matt Dillon was? Oh, uh, you know, I'll say yes only because he. <laughs> He's just asking the same questions that Matt Dillon was. Yeah, it's the same. It's literally the same same thing. Yeah, let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. This is not very good. No, it's bad. It's very bad. It's very bad because in the first episode, I only watched the first episode, but it's basically the same thing as the first one, which is like, why am I in Wayward Pines? What's going on here? Um, he's not asking enough questions. They do a lot of uh, information dodging. Which they don't need to do because we know what Wayward Pines is, but they're still keeping it from him. So I I don't understand uh, why Fox went with another season of this. When, like, the first season was all the story they had. It was supposed to be a limited event. It was never supposed to come back, but they brought it back anyways. Yeah, and there's a new showrunner, new cast members. It wasn't even ordered until, like, late December, early January, something like that, right? Where I remember we talked about it. We said, wait, hold on. This is renewed? Um yeah, and you know, you noted that like we in the audience know all the things that Wayward Pines represents and is and whatever. The, even if you didn't watch the first season, the there's a whole voiceover at the beginning of the show that basically describes the entire first season. And when you have someone just like spell it out for you, I you just immediately remember like this show is nuts. And then. And then they immediately just go back to, like, bland white guy wakes up and is like, where's my wife? Yep. Yep. I mean, like like I said, the first five episodes were the best parts of Wayward Pines where, you know, it was a mystery. We all knew we were in for a roller coaster. It was this mystery. Um, and then once the mystery is gone, you know, you, you, you wrap up the story in another hour. But now they're going forth another 15 hours of wrapping up that story. And I, I don't know if it's interesting at all. There's this group called the First Generation, which were the kids that I think were born in Wayward Pines. And now they're trying to take over the city. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the story. It's like they're, they're holding the adults back. Um, Matt Dillon's son is out there as part of like a resistance. And I assume Jason Patrick will help him out. Um, but other than that, like when, you, when there's no more mystery... There are no more secrets. It's like, what is the point of the show? Like, where's the fun? Right. And the, this, this version of the show assumes that, like, you actually care about Wayward Pines as, like, a community for some reason. Or that you care about any of the people who live there who didn't die in the first season or who don't die in the first episode of this season. 
Um, and I think that that's a very, very weird assumption. That like, oh, you you didn't actually care about the mystery or get someone invested in what Matt Dillon's character was searching for or his relationship with his former flame or his, you know, his exchanged wife or any of this stuff. You actually just care about, you know, the town itself and, like, the people who were in the background of the first season. And that is not true. You do not care about that. Not at all. And if you remember when watching the first season, I think it was at the end of the first episode where they kill off Juliette Lewis's character. And then you're like... Oh my God, this show is willing to kill off the big name actors that they got. Um, they did the same thing later with Terrence Howard, etc. And I don't think that Juman Honsu dying is going to have the same effect if he does die at all. Uh, but that's what made Wayward Pines so interesting in the first season, as well as the mystery, is that there was there seemed to be no like traditional role, uh, rules about television. Like goodbye, like lead actress, you, you're you're gone. Right, it, and you can do that when you know you only have 10 episodes and it's over and done with, right? And now suddenly they're back, and if they use that same strategy again, and spoiler, they do, like immediately, there's some a big name dies in the first episode, um, the impact is less because we've already seen it multiple times, and even if it happens later in the season, these characters are not going to be as interesting as those that we saw in the first season, and so it's just completely diminished returns. Yes. This shouldn't have happened, but I guess it did well enough on uh, Fox On Demand to to warrant a second season. Um, but yeah, this is this is uh, this is more of the same, which is the slow decline into being a total mess. Yeah, and not fun anymore either, because it, it now suddenly kind of feels like they take this generational thing seriously, as opposed to just like Matt Dillon and or Jason Patrick running around saying like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, and I don't care about, like, I don't care about the internal politics of Wayward Pines as a community. No, we don't. Let's talk more about the, you know, survival of mankind instead of these kids. It's like Peter Pan or something. I just love in the voiceover that the kid is like, it's now 4016 or whatever. Like, they just say that matter-of-factly, and it's like, oh yeah, this thing is nuts. It is crazy. It is crazy. So Wayward Pines, it, uh... Premieres Wednesday, May twenty fifth at nine PM. You could probably catch up on the first season. Maybe watch the first five episodes, even though we spoiled everything for you. But uh, those first five episodes are pretty good. After that, eh, not so much. Mm-hmm. Not so much. Let's move on to uh, my favorite part of the podcast. It's the listener questions. Uh, we're gonna go first to the uh, little man TCC, who says with less saying, "Oh, I like this." He he and less are on a first name basis. With less Moombas saying, "All the CBS rookies will be renewed." What are some of your other favorite lies that network executives tell us? Um, Less, I think it was uh, sometime in March when he was talking about most. I think he, I think the quote has been misconstrued or or misquoted now because I thought he's just talking about like four or five of their new shows getting renewed. But I don't know. I I don't have the quote in front of me. Yeah, and was that some like weird uh, trade industry like thing where he was on stage and mentioned that most of the new shows would be renewed? But that was even at the point where a couple of them hadn't even premiered yet. So, yeah. Uh, since then, we've seen Rush Hour and uh, <laughs> Limitless canceled. I'm trying to think of any of those other ones. And Supergirl got moved. And Supergirl got moved. But yes, uh, the point of this question is: network executives will lie to you. They will tell you anything uh, they think you want to hear. Um, Paul Lee at ABC. I feel like every time he had a, the forum at TCA's or something, he would talk about a show and how great it was and how he believed in it and how you know, like shows like Work It. And it's like I, I just can't believe that 
any of that was true at all. Uh, do you have any uh, lies, network executive lies? I think the, the biggest kind of lie that we hear every year, either at TCAs or at upfronts, is whatever whatever rhetoric they have regarding like measuring viewership in a way that's not Nielsen ratings, you know, so this year they're talking about like total impressions there, you know, there was a, there was a lot of dialogue at like, you know, like sharp attacks at like YouTube and like streaming video, um, you know, talking about how television delivers like the immediate 360 experience or some dumb shit like that, where it's clearly, that's the kind of stuff that's only supposed to go to advertisers, but because of the way the industry is now covered, like we hear it and you're just like, what the fuck are they talking about? But, you know, like advertising bros are sitting there in the front row and they're like, yes, we love it. You're right. You know, any of those things are pretty are pretty empty. Um, you know, anytime they talk about like we're really we're really, you know, going to an all year schedule. You know, we're trying to build out uh, a schedule all year round and not really think about uh, traditional scheduling practices and stuff like that. But like the last five NBC presidents have said stuff like that. And so anything like that, where they seem to suggest that they're doing something innovative or immediately critique anyone who may be doing something innovative outside of the broadcast model is always my favorite. Or anytime they talk about how they're listening to the very passionate and loyal fan base that a show has. Yeah. And if we, you know, I can't remember the CBS executive today who said, because uh, the thing I mentioned at the beginning was the, the Nancy Drew pilot that uh, Sarah Shahi was in, right, that uh, was sort of like the adult Nancy Drew take, which is a dumb idea to begin with, but whatever. It, the, the news was that it, was, it wasn't picked up because it's skewed to female in theory, um, and there's a lot of loaded language in that, but they basically came out and said, that was not true, that's basically, you know, pilot season scuttlebutt, and we picked up only the best shows, even though they picked up MacGyver, which is a show that's being retooled for like the fourth time. So clearly they didn't just pick up the best pilots, quote unquote. Uh, thank you to Little Man TCC for that question. Let's move on to Silver Sword 14 who asks, after watching the trailers for the upcoming fall spring shows, is there anything that you're actually looking forward to? Any predictions on what might be a surprise success or a total bomb? We talked a little bit about this, but I don't think we talked about everything. Um, Corey, why don't you pick your your big success story from uh, of the new shows i think that lethal weapon is going to work i think that fox is dedicated to making it work i think it has at least one recognizable star um i think that there's a decent like interest in the ip of it all but not like such a fervent interest that you're going to betray a bunch of people and i think it has like a comfortable translatable enough premise that you can make a good, sh a decent show out of it. Um, I don't know what that means as far as like how successful it's going to be, but I think as far as you know, if we're looking at a season that's full of like uninspired ideas, dead, you know, completely connected to like time travel and franchises and like multi-camera comedies, those are like the three big trends. At least Lethal Weapon looks watchable, and that's not something you'd say about a lot of these others. You know, I, that was my pick too. Um, it's just, it, it captures the fun and action that you're hoping to see from something like Rush Hour. Um, but it but does it actors. well. Yeah, uh, Clayton Crawford 
I think he's going to be pretty good as Martin. He looks Briggs. great. Yeah, I mean, it's not like 1989 Mel Gibson, but it's and it's. I like that it's not doing like a. They're trying really hard to mimic the movie. Really, you know, they're doing the same beats, but it feels, you know, new enough that it's not just like he's trying to be Mel Gibson. Yeah, and Damon Wayans. He is used to, I think, taking over scenes, but he's fairly reserved here. Uh, but when he needs to, he can just he can easily turn it on, and uh, provide the like uh, the surprising humor that you wouldn't expect out of that character. So I think that one's going to be good um, in terms of uh, success with ratings. I mean, it's hard to say that Kevin can can wait can will will be bad will be bad in ratings. I think it'll do fine. It's going to get yeah, the big wait. It's going to get the Big Bang Theory push it has that comfortableness i think you and i both admitted that we did not hate the king of queens in a previous podcast not at all yeah um so i think that could be fine um other than that you know speechless which is abc's new show with Minnie driver where she's uh, the matriarch of a family with a special needs kid that is in front of modern family and after the goldbergs that has a chance to do decent in the ratings um i think american housewife will find also find an audience uh but it's gonna have a harder time on tuesday unless that comedy block gets established um let's talk about potential bombs well i'll go first imaginary mary how long will that last two episodes i think it's a mid-season show so i don't i don't think it'll last after, through valentine's day yeah, depending on when it premieres, I think it airs less than six episodes. I mean, it just looks absolutely horrible. Poor Jenna Elfman, huh? Well, how many how many shows is she going to get, though? Like, I like her fine, but maybe viewers have just decided they're good. Like, they don't want another show starring her. Maybe she should make some better choices. Uh, what else looks bad? Uh, I will say Timeless does look really bad, which is unfortunate, because I love Abigail Spencer. And I really want success for Eric Kripke, but I, it just doesn't look interesting. Well, and it, like we said before, the pilot is just, or the even the sizzle reel is full of like people talking in vague sentences and saying like you know things about destiny and stuff like that, which is always a bad sign, right? Which is always like setting people up to start asking like, what's the plan? What are you doing here? Like immediately, some big mystery, and shows like that just. They don't work on NBC. I mean, some of them have been successful, but like creatively, interestingly, they don't work. Uh, so yeah, those are, those are the ones that we like and don't like. Uh, think. Oh wait, no, yeah, one more question here. I almost I almost skipped you, Ben. Ben forty five TPY asks: Apart from Vince Gilligan shows, what do you think are the best examples of good guys becoming bad on TV psychologically, not by revealing a secret identity or, you know, actually always being bad. Um, I don't think there are many. Of course, uh, apart from Vince Gilligan's shows, you're talking about Breaking Bad, which has the one of the greatest character arcs of any show ever, in which Walter White starts off as a good guy and goes bad by the end. Um, I came up with a little list here. Uh, does Nick Brody count from Homeland? I think so. I mean, that's definitely an instance where he's been, like, psychologically and emotionally broken. And so he then, you know, like, changes due to that. I, I, I guess you would say that he maybe doesn't, like, become full-on bad. But still, I think it's, it's a worthwhile example. And most of the goods, we see most of him being good in flashbacks. And then, he, yeah, you see him broken and, and kind of turning and... Um, Joining the bad guys. Uh, next from your show, Michael. Michael from Lost. 
Harold, Harold Perrineau. That's a good answer. Good for a while, and then he turned on people. And I think that's – like him and Nick Brody are kind of like contextually evil, right? Like both of those shows did pretty good jobs of like creating the story reasons for why they turned out the way they did, right? Instead of just kind of revealing – you know, having them snap or something like that. Like they made really difficult choices that in, you know, general day-to-day life, we would say, Oh, that's horrible. They're evil people. And they made evil decisions. But in the context of the life that they lived, those decisions are a little bit more legible, even if they are still bad. Um, Lester Nygaard from Fargo, you know, he was just a normal bumbling kind of loser. And then he went on a murdering spree. Uh, That's one of my favorite character arcs. If you like, Breaking Bad, and he liked what Walter White did. Uh, that's another good one. Um, Michael from The Wire, if you remember, he was one of the kids in season four. Uh, a lot of promise to him, and by the end of the series, he was uh, he was the new Omar, basically. He was indeed. Although, you know, it's questionable. Was Omar really a bad guy? That's true. I mean, I think it, it just seems even more impactful because obviously he's a kid, right? That he made that trajectory so quickly. Uh, it's more sad than anything. I had one. Oh, in a completely other genre, uh, Ryan from The Office. Started out very, very innocent, just kind of a, a guy, a temp, right? And by the end, was a complete prick. <laughs> was it, didn't he always have like, wasn't he always a bit of a, a, bit of a ladder climber sycophant? He, he was for sure. But I think uh, once he took the corporate job and became like a major coke fiend uh, who was obsessed with his Blackberry. Uh, that really kind of t- took things from from bad to worse. Are there any women that we can think of? We've named only dudes. Uh, that tells us something about... I mean, I guess this doesn't count, but I was going to say Rachel from Unreal, except she you know, they, she starts the show kind of bad. Yes. yes. But um, I don't know. She wrestles with being good or bad, I guess, so she doesn't really go from good to being bad. Um, other than that, I don't know. Women just aren't given these kinds of roles, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, some of the shows where the women are given pretty complex roles, they tend to waver back and forth instead of going from a more, like, clear linear trajectory, right? Nothing really stacks up to Breaking Bad in that regard, but still, even someone like Alicia from The Good Wife certainly gets more corrupted over time, but it's not as if she ends the show as, like, a full-on villain. She does some really horrible things, but she does horrible things in seasons two, three, four, you know, so, um, you know, their characters like Carrie from Homeland or something like that are just more back and forth as opposed to just like a linear trajectory from good to bad. Yeah. I mean, that kind of storytelling is pretty rare. Um, obviously Breaking Bad being the one instance that I can really think of where it's very clear cut, a slow, uh, downward line, diagonal line from good to bad. Um, but yeah, most shows most shows like to linger with the uh, you know walking the line, walking the moral line, rather than go in a straight direction. Uh, that's it. Thank you for the question, Ben. Forty five TPY and for Silver Sword fourteen. I didn't thank you last time, but thank you. Um, as always, if you have a question, please leave it in the comments of the podcast, and we will get to it next week. Uh, Corey, you can tell us where we can find this podcast if they are just happen to stumble upon this randomly. Sure, you can find us always at tv.com. We'll be there on the front page. We're also uh, on the news page. If you click on the podcast tab, you can tab you can find the last 10 to 15 episodes. We're at SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash tv.com. The dot spelled out. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. 
We are on Downcast, Overcast, Google Play Music, all the good places you can find podcasts. We are there. Great. Next week, we'll be talking about, I don't know, a Bloodline from Netflix, season two of that. I still have to finish season one. I guess that gives me something to do this week. Uh, Chef's Table, we might talk about that. That's another Netflix documentary. And then there's a very interesting show called Clever Man coming to Sundance TV. I say interesting in that it is very weird looking, and I don't know what to make of it. Uh, Maybe we can talk about that as well. Sounds like the perfect Sundance show then. Exactly. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and we will be talking to you in about seven days. Bye. Bye.